thanks be to God for you for being here. Um, If you would please pray with me. God of grace and mercy and power, God in whom we know nothing except you, your promises and your love, in the uncertainty that faces us in everyday life, in the challenges and hardships and the joys and celebrations in everything that this strange world has to offer us, God. Help us to see you. Help us to know you. Help us to be transformed by love towards you and towards one another. May you be the animator of our words and our actions today. And if we should miss, we should err, if our words or our movements should be not of you, move us farther away from love rather than towards it, help us to notice, to become aware, to turn around as you're always inviting us to in your 70 times 7 chances and find you again in Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In those days... The empire was making its power and will known, not only taxing people, but making them move around at a whim. In those days, there was little to go around. If you weren't one of the richest and the most powerful, in those days, things felt hopeless and hard for so many. In those days, There was not enough room for everyone to stay and give birth and have space for who they were. In those days, there were challenges. In those days, there were many of the same things we experience today. And yet, in those days, there was this day. The day when the angels came to the shepherds on a hill. (laughs) Uh, Someone, an interpreter says, God moves from the temple to the farm. On this day, the angels came to the shepherds, and what they heard changed their lives and our lives forever. You just heard this um, extraordinarily beautiful testimony from Trevor about the power of listening in the midst of whatever is for the signs and the signals of whatever might be for the seeds of what is happening that we aren't already aware of, of listening for what is going on in love and in the world. And um, there's something about that that is what we've been doing this entire sermon series during Advent here at Urban Village Church. Each Sunday we've tried to take the perspective of a different person or character or group that was a part of the Christmas story. We have said to ourselves, what was it like to be Mary and Joseph (laughs) during this story we have heard a thousand times? What was it like to be a child witness at the time of this story that we have heard a thousand times? What was it like to be Herod at the time of this story we have heard a thousand times? And today, we turn our listening, we turn our attention, we turn our sight towards the shepherds. What was it like to be the shepherds on this day experiencing what they did in those days that were such a challenge to them. Because here's the thing about the shepherds. They were not 
um, what we often imagine now. We have now spent over 2,000 years calling Jesus our shepherd, right? So we sort of think of a shepherd as a really good thing. We think of those shepherd's crooks as a sign of care and nurture. We maybe imagine shepherds as people who got to spend their days in the grass among the animals, right, in nature, communing with the oneness of who God is. But, but the reality was that shepherds were um, towards the bottom of the ladder, not the very bottom, but towards it. Shepherds were considered people who didn't have land of their own, right? And so they used up other people's land, grazing with the an these animals that followed them around. They were too poor to be landholders and agriculturalists. So, so they were the lost, the misfits, the misbegotten, the people who took from others, the people who couldn't make for themselves. This is what somebody walking around in Jerusalem might have told you about shepherds. Shepherding was hard work. You would be away from everyone for months at a time, following these frustrating animals <laughs> wherever they went and wherever you could scramble and scrape to find food together. Being a shepherd was not an easy thing, and being a shepherd in this society was not an honored thing. And so on this Sunday of love, when I ask myself, what did love look like to the shepherds? I think what love looked like was that the angels showed up to them at all. <laughs> I have big questions about the shepherds. There are things that, um, that I wonder about. Like, they have this extraordinary experience, right? This day, imagine a chorus of angels shows up to you. And notice... We don't know exactly what the angels looked like. We do know that every single time they show up, they say, do not be afraid. <laughs> so they might not have looked uh, calming <laughs> or uh, soothing. <laughs> um, many people imagine angels as, uh, from other passages in the Bible, collections of eyes and fire, right? Um, or uh, powerful warriors aglow with an otherworldly light. Uh, the angels showing up to the shepherds, to these people, is a sign about who they are. So the shepherds have this experience, right, of angels showing up to them, of singing a holy song about who God is. And A, what I love about the shepherds is that they have this extraordinary experience, otherworldly, supernatural, amazing in every possible way. And still, as soon as the angels leave, they're like, let's go check it out for ourselves, you guys. <laughs> Let's let's go see it, right? Let's go make sure this baby that these amazing fire creatures were singing about is real, because um, that's not a unique enough experience. We've got to add another layer. And so the angels have appeared to them, and they say, let's go see. Let's go see for ourselves. And they go and see that it's all true. They see that a baby is there. They see that it is wrapped in cloth. They see that Mary and Joseph are real, and that something extraordinary has happened in the body of a vulnerable baby a vulnerable family made vulnerable by this world that they're living in. And then they go back, and they don't hear another word for 30 years, right? This is my biggest question about the shepherds, is that night they're on fire for God. They want to tell everyone they are the witnesses to power and light and glory and love. I want to check in with one of these shepherds 15 years later when their material circumstances have not changed, when the empire is still in charge, when they have not seen the miraculous overturning 
to a new kingdom of God happen on the land where they stand. But they still just have this memory of great power and light. And I wonder, when that's what happens to you, what sustains you? When you hear this story, when you have this conviction, when you know this miracle, when you've seen it happen, and yet it hasn't all the way happened yet, the thing hasn't happened to the fullness of what you believed and imagined. You have experienced a miracle, and yet things are still hard. What sustains you through those years to continue to be a witness to love? And I think, I think the answer is that the angels chose to show up to them. And, and the shepherds understand that that is making a statement, right? <laughs> that, that the angels choosing to show up to them says something about what this new world could be and what God cares about and who God cares about. That the shepherds are deeply loved where they are, where they are in their hardship. And so they hold on to that promise, whatever comes next. Can we bring up the very end of the scripture, those very last couple of verses, 18 to 20? Yep, there we go. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. I, I, this struck me every single time I read this passage for many years as it had been told them, because it's, it's strange, right, to say they tell about what they saw. It makes this big point that they go there and they see it for themselves, but also as it had been told them. And, and I think it's twofold. I think one thing is they haven't seen the whole thing happen yet. Advent is a season of waiting, right? We wait as people waited for the birth of Christ, but we're also waiting for the, the whole enchilada to be real, <laughs> the whole kingdom to come to this earth. We are still in Advent. We are still waiting. The whole justice rolling down has not completely occurred in our life yet. So that part was told them they didn't see it. Part of it, they just had to trust. Part of it was going out on faith. Part of it they saw, part of it they didn't. But for the first time this year, I also thought that part of what this means is as it had been told them, that part of what they experienced that day was that if the miracle was the kind of miracle that gets told to them as who they were, as hard as it was in this empire full of kings with power, that if the chorus of angels comes to them, that is in fact a testimony about the nature of God who God is, who Jesus is, and how Jesus shows up to us. That's what love looked like at Christmas for the shepherds. Now I'm going to take you on a journey to something that's going to seem far away, and then we're going to come back. What did, what did love look like to the shepherds at Christmas? I think that. That's my hunch. What does love look like at Christmas to us now? Where is the love of the Christmas story in our lives? For each one of us, the challenges and joys of Christmas will be different. But there are several people and families at this church that I think about a lot at Christmas season um, who are people who are going home 
to people who may or may not see them or love them or acknowledge them for who they are. People who are going home to someone who has said, I don't agree with you, right? Which really means I don't see you. I don't love you as who you are. I don't show up on your hill. I do not sing your song. People who have said, I'm not sure I'm there yet. That's a common story in our community. Just as stories of loss and grief and all kinds of other things at Christmas are common in our community. And I think sometimes we begin to take it for granted that empires are empires, that hatred is hatred, that discomfort is discomfort, and there's nothing we can do about it, and that's just kind of how it is, and it can't be different. And then come along somebody, people like uh, my heroes of the month, Dwayne Wade and Gabrielle Union. <laughs> I want to show you a picture of their family, and I want to tell you why they're my heroes of the month. Um, they are, to me, what love looks like this Christmas. So um, Dwayne Wade, I, we all come from different places, so Dwayne Wade's a basketball player, <laughs> in case anybody doesn't know that. Gabrielle Union's an actress, in case anybody else doesn't know that. Um, I have loved her deeply since 10 Things I Hate About You. You may have a different relationship to her body of work. Um, but they are also married and raising kids together. Raising kids um, who are, uh, uh, like many of our families, right, like come from a lot of different places. Dwayne Wade has some kids from uh, prior relationships who Gabrielle Union is helping to raise along with other um, mothers in their life. We all have this. And something that started happening about like a year and a half ago is that um, their 12-year-old, Zion, um, went to Pride. So here's a weird thing about being the child of famous people is that people are all up in your business in ways that they usually aren't when you're eight years old or 10 years old, right? And so when this child was born, the whole world knew that they were called a boy by their family and by the world because it was announced in newspapers and because it was in gossip columns, which doesn't happen for most of us, but most of us do have the experience that our families are told about who we are before we get to pick, right? Before we get to decide. Um, and then about a year and a half ago, um, more pictures started coming out on Instagram, on social media, right? Like, Zion's, Zion's 12, they get on the social media now, um, wearing, like, nail polish or a dress or some feminine clothes. And because the world is hard and terrible as well as lovely and amazing, um, people started sending messages of hate and uh, parenting advice about that to Dwayne Wade and Gabrielle Union and to their kids, to their other kids, their older siblings. And at every step along the way, they have been the most miraculous and loving parents, exactly who you would imagine and want in that situation publicly. They went to Pride last year with their kids. And they posted all of these photos saying, we are so glad to be here. They didn't tell on anybody's business, right? They didn't like share, here's the journey, here's what we're figuring out, here's our gender journey. They said, here we are, we love everyone who is here with us. More recently, um, Zion has started using the pronouns she and her. And so they've started posting photos that say, uh, here are my girls, right? When, when uh, Dwayne Wade posts pictures of his daughters. And so they've gotten more and more blowback for that, more and more heat, more and more of the homophobia and the transphobia of the world are coming in. And so um, one of the beautiful things to see is both that her older siblings have been standing up for her, but then there was also this interview with Dwayne Wade this week, and I've just been thinking about it all week. Um, and someone was basically like, what's going on? What's your deal? Um, and he said this, 
I've watched my son from day one become into who she now eventually has come into. For me, it's all about nothing changes with my love. Nothing changes with my responsibilities. Only thing I got to do now is get smarter and educate myself more, and that's my job. That's my job. That my job when someone I love begins to transform in ways I didn't anticipate is to see that as a gift to me about what more love I might experience in the world, about what more I might learn, <laughs> about what the world has to offer, about who more I might be to be a gift to them. Anytime someone in this community tells me that they might become a parent um, through birth, adoption, any of the ways that we are making families here at this church, I recommend one thing. I have very little good advice. Being a parent is just a bunch of uncertainty and screwing up all the time. Um, but there's one thing that I know helps. So I recommend it to everybody, which is something I did when I was preparing to be a parent, which is every day I listen to the Sweet Honey and the Rock song, On Children. And here are the lyrics to On Children. Your children, they are not your children. They are the sons and the daughters of life longing for itself. They come through you, but they are not of you. You can try to be like them, but you cannot make them just like you. You can try to be like them, but you cannot make them just like you. Part of what loving someone is, and this isn't just true of parenting, but true love, real love, love like the love of God, love like the love of Jesus, is love that feels like nourishment as you grow. What real love is, is love that is so wide, it holds whatever you become. And I think part of what's hard about being alive is that we are so fearful, we are so uncertain. So much about what the world can be doesn't make itself known to us that we convince ourselves that what love looks like is control. That what loving someone or something is is to make it into what we think it needs to be to be safe. To make it into what we think it needs to be to be connected to us. We have screwed up on what love is because we are scared. <laughs> because we are scared that God's promises aren't really true. <laughs> that love doesn't really come in the form of a baby. It comes in the form of a king with a sword who can protect us and knows what's going on. But love, real love, God love, never looks or feels like that. It looks and feels like this. A love that changes shape as the object of love changes shape, a love that grows and changes both what we love and us the lover. Love is something that is transformable and beautiful and nourishing for whatever it is that we become. And the Bible nerd, the Jesus nerd in me, um, has loved this story not only for the example it provides, that families in fact can be good to their children. There is not an excuse for harming the people that you love. But it's also been because her name is Zion, at least for now. Maybe she'll change it. I don't know, right? But because the Bible tells us that we are marching to Zion, 
beautiful, beautiful Zion. We are marching upwards to Zion, the beautiful city of God. And one of the things that most transformed my faith is that um, a theologian said that one of the greatest mistakes that Christians ever make is that we think our job is to destroy everything and get back to Eden, when in fact God has told us that what is right now is good. What is right now has all the seeds of what will be. And our job, in fact, is to live through what is and together become Zion. What living through the pain and the hardship means is not getting rid of it and returning to some original state. It's going through it with the empowering, transforming love of Jesus Christ, becoming bigger in every moment, learning something new with every new relationship we make, and marching together to Zion, which will be something that, yes, none of us could have predicted, which is scary, but is going to be better than anything we ever could have imagined. Hallelujah. We are waiting. We are in a season of waiting. And I just want to bring back to connect to the shepherds, to Dwayne Wade, to us right now, that I know it's been a little bit of a hard year at this church. Urban Village is, to me, one of the most extraordinary communities I've ever been a part of, and change is really hard. <laughs> and for those of you who don't know, we've had a lot of change this year. We, in some ways, saw change coming, and so then decided to choose a bunch of change all at once so that future changes would be easier, right? Which I think in the long run is going to be this incredible gift to us, but in the short run has meant choosing change, which sucks and is totally counterintuitive. <laughs> It feels like choosing something hard when we could live with something good. But I think part of what we're doing is making this commitment to be open to what the future might bring of what God can do with these people and this community if we live into a kind of love that is open to every single possibility to all of what might become if we live with this ethic of a nourishing, opening, sunlight, unpredictable love together. I'm sure we'll look back on this time and there will be all kinds of mistakes that we've made because we're human and it turns out you don't get out of that part. You just like don't get to be alive without making mistakes. I am sorry to tell you. <laughs> this has been the hardest thing for me to get used to about being a human being is that we aren't going to get out of here without having screwed up royally at least once a week, if not once a day, if not once an hour. But what has blessed me about this time for us as a community is that even as we make decisions, the outcomes of which might later turn out to have been errors, the way that we've made them has been full of faith and full of love. I've watched people try faithfully to hear one another. I've watched people show up <laughs> to meeting after meeting and worship after worship and look other people in the eye and say, I love you and so I'm in this. Let's see what God will do. <laughs> Let's see what the Spirit has in store. And I trust in a process that looks like that because it feels to me like every other time the Holy Spirit has prepared me for something extraordinary that I didn't know what it would look like. And so I wanted to take time to thank you at the end of the year, because it is a time to look back and look forward. 
for being the kind of people and community with whom I experience love beyond measure and trust beyond what I knew could be. I look at you and I see not only who you are today, but what I have seen you been this year. People who made meals for one another <laughs> when you were depressed or had finals or had a chronic illness or had a baby. <laughs> All of those are different, but in some ways <laughs> share things, right, <laughs> in terms of the challenges they offer. I have seen you profoundly disagree with one another, be mad about where other people thought we should go and still say, you're mine and I'm yours. And in this bond, we will find Jesus. I have watched you go out at Pride and to tattoo shops and in the streets on Ash Wednesday and say, God is not the God of smallness and the God of hatred who you have heard of. I have experienced a different God and by God, I want you to know about it. I have watched you babysit one another's kids and make signs for one another's rooms and feed each other food and go on queer camping trips. I, yeah, right? It was amazing. <laughs> I have seen you be love in action, the kind of love that doesn't ask another person to be small so that love will stay the same, but the kind of love that allows another person to get as big and strange and weird as they can be because that's what love is going to teach us. Every time we bring in new members here at Urban Village, which happens with an alarming regularity, <laughs> there just keep being more of you. If this is your first time here, you may be confused by some of what I'm saying, but you'll know it in four weeks, so <laughs> come on back. We ask members what they're excited about being a part of, about this community that already exists, but then we pray that we will be transformed by the new people who come into our midst and show us a new face of the Lord, a new part of who Jesus is. So just as the shepherds so long ago held on through years of no evidence to this moment in which God showed them, I am the God who loves you on your hill. I am the God who works through babies and refugee parents and unwed moms right like that's the kind of God I am they held on to that night for the rest of their lives and testified about it because love made them bigger and not smaller because love showed them more possibilities about what the world could be rather than fewer the kind of love that Dwayne and Gabrielle have showed us all of us can actually experience which is loving unto other people into the fullness of who God made them to be rather than controlling them into becoming what we wish they had been? That is the kind of love I believe we are cultivating in this community. And I think the years to come will bring us measures of that love that will transform us all so deeply that we will know God in new ways and know each other in new ways. And so thank you for giving us the grace to experience that together. And I ask you to dig into experiencing it again for every single year and every single Advent and every single Christmas of your life. Thank Jesus for that opportunity. <laughs>